Before today's episode, I gotta say a big, big thank you to our Patreon supporters. These folks are donating their money to help keep the show going and keep the cost low for us producing it. In addition to our normal Patreons, we also have a few that went above and beyond to get the shout-out level. And those people this month are Stephen Davis, Krista Decker, and Tim Ludwig. These guys have been here since the beginning, making this show possible, which is really, really exciting when you're a photojournalist with not a lot of extra budget to share this data and information and pay for all the hosting and stuff like that. Today's guest actually went on the Patreon feed to do a bonus episode. So if you haven't checked out the Patreon feed, you get bonus content, bonus interviews, some monologue style stuff from me, some talks with Zach and I, and it's just trying to add more of the tech and more of the tutorial side of things. So today, George and I talk about how to shoot professional football. He's got over 20 years of experience, and I'm just shy of 10 years experience, and he taught me a lot. (laughs) I'm not even kidding when I say I learned a lot in that one. Without further ado, this is George's episode, and for those of you who pay really close attention, Jared was supposed to be this week, but he and I got too busy with assignments. We're both working all the time, and we're going to have to push our interview to next week. But all the things Octavio said are true. Jared's episode is going to be awesome. Thanks so much for listening. And for those that are supporting, huge thank you to you as well. Just really appreciate everything and all the support. Welcome to Reciprocity Podcast, where we discuss the backstories and strategies of photojournalists, sports photographers, documentary filmmakers, and photo editors. Now, here's your host, Brett Carlson. So today's guest is actually local to me right here in Nashville, Tennessee. Today's guest is George Walker IV. George has been a photojournalist with the Tennessean in Nashville, Tennessee for almost 30 years now. The Tennessean is part of the USA Today network, so that is a nationwide conglomerate of papers. And the Tennessean is actually one of the bigger ones. There's a lot of small papers. Actually, my hometown paper is... One of the first USA did. I don't know if you knew that. I'm from Wright Myra, New York, the Star Gazette. I think it was the first Gannett paper back in the day. Wow. Okay. And the first place I ever freelance was the Democrat and Chronicle, which is in Rochester, New York. And that was the former national hub of the Gannett newspapers. Right. So I guess it's kind of like interviewing somebody from my old company, if we're so to speak. Um, <laughs> I freelance for both of them back in the day. And I also freelance for USA Today. So anyways, uh, George, so 30 years at uh, the Tennessee. And before that time, how did you, how'd your career start? Where, where'd you go to school? And uh, how'd you start off with this? My interest in photography started as a kid, following my dad around. He was a photographer. He freelanced. He worked for uh, a lot of agencies back in the day, Gamma Liaison and Time, Newsweek and other other publications like that. There were assignments that I tagged along. And, and so I was sparked my interest a little bit and then later I took a black and white class in high school my senior year and I had been doing music stuff all prior to that I played like three or four different instruments at the time this that uh and whatever else and so I had a picture published in like this little literary journal that we had uh at the high school and I got the cover after seeing that I was like okay I'm done this is what I'm doing so that was that was high school and then went to MTSU uh, down the street in Murfreesboro had a really good photography program and studied there interned at the Tennessean I think my sophomore year uh, worked at the campus newspaper the annual stat you know annuals and all that kind of stuff then it just kind of has taken off from there so I don't think I realized this so you're local like you were Born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. My God. Yeah. I didn't know anyone was. <laughs> we, there are a few of us around. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty rare. I feel like everyone I've met is like from Alabama or New York or LA or something. They all seem to, everyone seems to, I'm guilty as well, obviously. I'm not from here either. So <laughs> everybody else thinks they're from somewhere else, but you know, 
Some of us are native 615ers. That's right. That's right. <laughs> awesome. So M- MTSU, though, is a, it's a state school. Did, I didn't know they had like a photojournalism program, or is that maybe something that went away or is counting stronger? It's um, It hasn't really gone. It's still there. It, they have a photojournalism program. It's not... One of the, you know, like one of the strongest, of course, is Western Kentucky in the region. But MTSU has put out quite a few really good photographers in the area. It was mostly, mostly kind of a commercial art kind of program when I started there. Vita Jo Hampton, who was from Missouri um, back in the day, she was uh, my first mentor there, and she was really strong. She's one that pushed me out the door and get me, got me to the Tennessee and to go apply for that internship my like right after my basic year, sophomore year, and pushed me to get to get in there. And then uh, another guy, Chris Harris, came after she left. Um, And he was, back in the day, he was a New Orleans-based freelance photographer and came in and kind of opened my eyes to, like, the the larger world of freelance and other things that are out there other than just, you know, working at a newspaper as a staff, as a staffer. That's awesome. I I feel like a lot of the people we've had on are from... Uh, a lot of different backgrounds and I went to a very photo heavy school. We had a great photo program. It was super heavy RIT. And so it's interesting whenever I meet somebody who didn't go to a program like that or the Western Kentucky or the Ohio that had great success because I think there's a lot of people that I know listen to the podcast and also that I've met that are in that boat. You know, they go to a state school and that's for whatever reason. I mean, there's there's not a problem with that, but for whatever reason they're at a state school and I feel like they maybe feel like they have a, a not they don't have that leg up. What, what would you say to those young kids that are maybe in a program that isn't like a like I said, like a notoriously awesome an RIT, Ohio, Western Kentucky, Syracuse, whatever? I, I, I think, you know, it's not necessarily where you go, but it's what you learn and how much you put into your, yourself into what it is you're trying to uh, trying to accomplish. MTSU was a small program at the time. I think we had maybe two, three professors and two of the two of the three were mainly were mainly kind of art oriented and or, you know, and commercial oriented Well, not even commercial at the time when I started then one kind of uh, journalism oriented. So but there I got a really well-rounded photo education because I mean you were you were definitely seeing things in uh, different ways yeah and I think that's so important I think that's like that was really thing I a thing I really liked about my program was that we did advertising we did fine art and we did photojournalism well I know some people like go to these schools that are like journalism schools that then they have a photojournalism degree and it's like it's not a disadvantage but in ways I feel like it is because it's like you know if, if you get laid off now you got to navigate that commercial world or or if you do something really meaningful that maybe wants to go to gallery like you don't know anything about that world or or just anything but i think the most common occurrence is that people lose their jobs i mean that's the biggest thing i see is like even a few years out of school like a bunch of people that were like really hardcore journalism people i looked up to all of a sudden didn't have their position anymore and now they're like navigating this foreign land with no understanding of commercial business which looked pretty hard yeah i mean at I have been lucky to be able to be in the same place for like the past 30 years, but I do, I totally agree. I mean, and also I think what that gave me was a different way of seeing and a different way of thinking about things because, you know, you don't, journalists see things one way, but artists might see it another, you know, another. And so it just kind of broadened my horizons in that, in that regard. Totally. Um, and, but then also with the, you know, having a little bit of commercial background and some studio light, some serious studio lighting and some other, you know, some other things. So it, that also helped as well. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's something I've been seeing lately. That's pretty amazing. There's actually this Australian photographer that I met at an event uh, in the States and he's been doing these portraits lately that 
the goal was, I found out after commenting on his Instagram, was that he wanted to make them look like a Law & Order cover shot. And they, they do. They look like Law & Order advertisements. And I was like, man, these things are awesome, dude. Like, how, these are amazing. And they're like fully lit. I don't know if they're doing like projections for the background. Like they have like fires in the background of these like firefighter photos. And like I was like, dude, these are amazing. And he's like, yeah, that was our goal. And I'm like, I think people lose touch of that when they, they at least when you're younger. And even when you're in the career, you kind of like think like, oh, photojournalism is sports, spot news, politics, features. And it's like, it can be so much more than that if you let it be. Right, right. And there's so much more like some... And some of the photographers that influenced me just on our staff was like um, Bill Stebrew is one. I don't know if you've met with him, but he's broadened his horizon so much that from just journalism, he was doing documenting the blues culture in, in Mississippi and all that kind of stuff. He's another person you'd probably have on your on your podcast yeah, at some no, point. Sounds awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, what's interesting to me as someone who went to school in the Northeast, like I had a lot of connections in New York City just because we're so close. I mean, we were a seven hour drive, but like, you know, a professor would be from New York or they would know someone from New York or DC or whatever. So we were really like keyed into the New York City culture of photojournalism. Now living in the South, like now I realize that there's like all of these things down here that you don't really hear about. Like maybe a little bit of Florida. Last week I had on Octavio Jones. I don't know if you know him. He's from Tampa. Mm -hmm. But like so a few people here and there I've known for years that maybe you meet at a workshop. But what do you think about that? I mean, someone who's worked in the South for like 30 years, like, do you feel like that sometimes maybe stories or projects down here maybe go under the radar or maybe even hold people's whole entire careers maybe go under the radar? I think I think both. I think I think there are there are stories that, you know, are beyond, say, civil rights projects or things that are that that bring large cachet or, you know, even photographers, you know, we kind of miss them because we don't have the same New York exposure or LA exposure or those big city exposures. What's interesting about the way that the USA Today network works, um, which I'm probably saying it wrong. I feel like you guys change ownership every four years. So I'm sorry. I'm probably using like the 2012 acronym or whatever, but anyways, it's, it's still USA Today. Network. Okay, cool. Uh, so the USA Today network is kind of neat because some of your projects will actually end up in the USA Today paper. Like I read the Tennessean, I read the USA Today, I read a couple other papers every day and it's kind of neat. Like I'll read USA Today and I'll catch up the Tennessean story right on the front page of USA Today today so is that helped or um maybe maybe bring a light to some projects you've worked on that lets you get a bigger audience i, I think it has and it's definitely beneficial in that regard like a few years ago david plazas and i who's the, our opinion editor we worked on a project um about the cost of growth and change in, in nashville so i mean it had a lot to do about how real estate issues in, in the city have really changed the makeup of the city and who lives where and in those regards like you know those residents who had lived in, you know, inner city kind of communities for a long time were now being pushed out and now other folks are being changed by gentrification and so forth. So, yeah. and, that, and that, and that made it, that project has been pushed out in other parts of the Gannett network. Of course. And that's, I mean, that's a huge issue in a lot of cities, but Nashville, it's pretty exacerbated, at least from my being here a few years. I've, all I've heard is like, and I'm sure you can speak to this. We'll go a little Nashville sidetrack here, but like everyone said like, oh yeah, five, 10 years ago, you would never even go to Broadway, let alone Germantown or like, there's a ton of neighborhoods that like you just wouldn't hang out in, let alone be like, right. oh, this is where we're going to go get fancy food right now. Right, right. You know, my wife is also native and she she <laughs> she says sometimes, you know, when we were growing up or we were young, you just wouldn't be caught dead on on Broadway because it was, you know, Tootsie's was there, but it wasn't the same Tootsie's you see now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> some other the places that were down there, Ernest Tubb Record Shop was there, of course, but it wasn't quite the same, you know, as you see now. So downtown Lower Broad was not the place to hang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I've heard. <laughs> when it comes to living in a city that you grew up in, I, I don't know. I mean, in New York City, I know some photojournalists, but like a lot of photojournalists don't necessarily seem to work in the city that they grew up in. Sometimes they maybe 
grew up in one city and they moved to another that's similar area or or whatever. Like Jake May, my buddy, he li- he grew up in like I think Western Michigan. Now he lives in Flint. Kind of stuff like that. What has it been like to document a community for thirty years and have it be your home? Well, it's it's been interesting. I mean, a lot of the you know a lot of times I can go out on assignment and I might know who who the people are. I mean, which is which is really cool and it gives me a, a comfort to be able to just walk into almost any situation and and also to be able to you know it just there's a great deal of comfort comfort there in that in yeah. that regard. So. Yeah. And it's got to be interesting, like when you when you get into these kind of situations that are maybe like a shorter term story, maybe, you know, more of the background going into it. Like I'm thinking of I'm thinking of like the recent protest or I don't know, like in like there's just stories that will come up that seem like to kind of grab national attention, which I'm sure have happened before here. The flood 10 years ago. You probably know so much more than even other photographers on staff, maybe. Well, yeah, that, you know, geographically knowing one of the good things about our staff is that majority of us have been there. Two of us are, you know, local mass villains and then, you know, other folks have been there a long time as well. So we have, we're a staff that, you know, is rooted in the community. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so rare. It is. Right? It is. It is. Yeah. You know, I, I see other papers and know of other papers and other publications where the staff just keeps turning over and turning over, turning over. And four or five of us being being from this area and being rooted in this in this, in this area, it definitely helps. Yeah. That's such a that's such a big win. So going back, so you're at MTSU, you do an yeah. internship. What was it like starting out a paper in 1993, right? I start, yeah, started full time in 93. I interned in 1990, freelance for two or three years here at the paper, and then an opportunity came came open for the staff position at the paper and somehow or another I kind of walked into it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, I remember my interview with the editor in chief at the time was like, I walked in, sat down and he says, uh, so when can you start? <laughs> That's the best interview ever. The best interview ever, exactly. Yeah. I mean, all, I guess all the work that I had done previous, you know, had spoken for itself. Yeah, so like, it oh, you're confident. You've been confident for a while now. We're right. good. Yeah, you've been around. You've been you've been around. We know who you are. We just okay. Can you start next week? I was like, yep. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so when you when you started, what was like? What was the makeup of journalism in Nashville then versus now? Because okay. I, I I'm actually don't even know the answer to this question. I don't know what was here 30 years ago versus now. Thirty years ago, of course, we had two. It was a two-paper town. We had the the Nashville Banner, which was the afternoon paper, and the, the Tennessean, uh, which was the, the morning paper. Um, our staffs, um, you know, the, af- the afternoon paper is a little smaller staff. The Tennessean had a we had a huge photographer. Well, I shouldn't say huge, but we had a large photography staff. We had almost um, probably twenty people in staff, including oh, wow. you know, with photographers, uh, a lab technician, two or three photo editors, and now we're down to there's four staff photographers and a visual editor. Yeah, yeah. So, a lot has changed in the last 30 years. And that's still, by today's standards, though, that's still a pretty good sized staff because Nashville isn't, Nashville's one of those cities that when I was in the Northeast, even, I think I maybe thought it was bigger and smaller at the same time, if that makes any sense. It makes all the sense. We call Nashville the big city with a little small town feel. Yeah, yeah. And that's totally what it's felt like. It, it definitely, like, I think that's the biggest thing I've loved about moving here is that it's like, it just feels like neighborhoods that never end. Like you're in this neighborhood, then that neighborhood. Then all of a sudden you're on the other side of the city. Every other city I've been in, it's like, ah, oh, there's a downtown where you go do things and you eat food and then there's neighborhoods that you live in and that is not the way Nashville works it's like a very much a like a big sprawl of neighborhoods which is kind of neat so to have four is still quite a bit of people but we do have two national sports lots of entertainment what does your breakdown kind of look like over the years and then now like what you cover and stuff like that started out covering just general assignment and that kind of stuff and then late I guess it was the late '90s when uh, Titans moved here. I think in '97, the, they were the Tennessee Oilers, and they uh, worked in that, you know, practiced in Nashville and played in Memphis. 
at the time because like the plan was they were going to be the Tennessee Oilers. We, they were two years before the stadium was going to be finished here in Nashville. And the owner had worked out a deal with the city of Memphis that they would come come there and play for two years, uh, 97 and 98, while the stadium was being built. And so the team lived, practiced, and did whatever. And then they would travel to Memphis for their home games. And, you know, we had to go cover those and do all those things. And, and at the time, nobody on the staff wanted to, very few on the staff, wanted to actually go to Memphis and cover the games, you know, on a regular basis. Because it meant getting up at the crack of dawn, driving down there, processing film in a, in a uh, hotel bathroom, you know, scanning your stuff and then packing it all up and coming back. And for those so, that don't know, it's a, th- it's a three hour drive of just straight highway. There's yeah. no turns. There's no towns. I mean, there's towns, but like there's no pit stops to make that drive fun. It is very much a three hour pull. Yeah. The draft, the drive to Memphis is not very pretty. You yeah. know, Easton is nice and pretty, but you know, going west to Memphis, it's not much there, but I was willing to make the drive and do it. And so I kind of made it my beat or myself and maybe one or two other photographers, but I pretty much did almost every, you know, every game that season. Yeah, down there in Memphis, um, as well as a few road games as we were getting started, and then things built from there. Then the following year in '98, they moved the, instead of playing in in Memphis because it turns out there were I think it was like one or two games where the owner Bud Adams at the time came to the games, and the stands were full of, of the other team's fans. Yeah, and and there were no Tennessee Oilers fans. I think it was the Pittsburgh Steelers game, and it was absolutely. full full of black and gold and black and yellow and he couldn't stand it so he's like we're done we're we're moving we're do whatever we can we're we're out of memphis and so you know then i think in 98 season they played at vanderbilt at vanderbilt stadium oh yeah that's tiny though yeah it's a little little bitty tiny stadium but you know it was full and it was you know tennessee oiler blue or you know tennessee oilers far fewer away fans came than 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 Titans or Oilers fans. And then 99, they opened the new stadium. And then I was kind of like, when they opened the new stadium, I was like, this is my beat. Yeah. And I I kind of announced to the staff that this is my beat and I'm going to do, and I guess everybody's like, okay, I don't want to work Sundays. And I I was the young guy. So myself and one of the other photographers, we kind of, we took it on. And uh, so since 97, I've, I've covered the Titans. Man. That's so crazy. What's so funny to me is someone who covers the NFL and knows hundreds of people that are all dying to cover the NFL. It's just so counterintuitive to me to hear someone be like, I've only met one guy that ever was like, I ain't going to the NFL games on Sunday. And that was because he was like, I have a family. I want Sundays off. So one person in my whole career has ever been like, I don't want to cover the NFL. So it's so cool to hear Like you were like, yeah, kind of, you know, uh, ate the the ugly sandwich at the table there. And it happened to be, oh, the start of an NFL team franchise. It was funny because at the time I was the young guy on staff. Yeah. And so like, you know, I was, I was ready to go. I'm just eager and ready to do anything and everything. It didn't matter what day it was on or when it happened. It's like, yes, I'll do it. And so, uh, yeah, when the games were going to be, you know, and I think the NFL was like still relatively new and a lot of the NFL in Nashville was definitely brand new. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. And so older guys on the staff and they weren't that much older. I mean, they were just a few years older, but they had kids and they were settled down and they were relaxed and they just weren't interested. Um, you know, they liked their Sundays. So they were, were not interested in working on Sundays. And I was like, I'm in. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Well, the thing is too, like down here, NFL culture seems to be a lot weaker I'm sure back then even more so compared to Saturday. I mean, football is on Saturdays in the South. I mean, that's the thing. It's like for those that aren't 
from the South. Nashville's one of two NFL teams in the South, right? You have the Falcons, who yep. Atlanta fans don't generally support all that much. And then you have Nashville. And then the next closest one is Cincinnati, which most people don't consider the South, but right, right. it's pretty close. Right. And then, and then, and then New Orleans. Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans at the, at the time. Yeah. New Orleans. This was before Carolina, before Jacksonville. That's right. Had, um, you know, and all this before Houston, obviously, because Houston yeah, came before, here exactly before Houston. So, yeah, at the time there was only because the Titans played in the central division at the time. And so we would go to Cincinnati a lot. We would go to Pittsburgh a lot. We would go to not even Baltimore. Um, Cleveland. Well, yeah. Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot. There wouldn't. And yeah, there wasn't a lot of teams. Was, you know, occasionally we'd go to Miami uh, and maybe once or twice to Tampa. Yeah. So. so it's just crazy to think like how things can change. So it's it's funny to think that like, oh, 30 years ago, it wasn't even like a, a good beat. I mean, it was no, to it you, wasn't. but like it wasn't to the paper. People were probably like not stoked on it. Oh, they weren't because like the old guys, they were still or I shouldn't say old guys, but the more senior staff, they were more interested in covering UT in Knoxville. So we would send three, two to three, maybe four people to a to a game at, at, uh, at UT in Knoxville versus myself and maybe one other photographer to a Titans game. Yeah. <laughs> and now that's got to be flipped, right? Oh, it's completely flipped. Yeah. It's completely flipped, you know, and, and with our and with our network and the way we work to things, we own the paper in Knoxville and the paper in Memphis and other parts of the other parts of the state. So the Knoxville paper will cover UT games for us. We cover the Titans games. It'll be myself and another photographer and potentially an editor, you know, and Memphis takes care of the Grizzlies and and uh, whatever is it in Memphis football and whatever else is happening there. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And Memphis has college basketball. It's they have Penny Hardaway as the coach there, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah. That's really crazy. Yeah. And again, northern problems. I never know all these things until you move down here. And they're like, hey, yeah, that's the thing I know now. Things are happening, baby. Things yeah, happen. so things are happening down here. <laughs> We're not just drinking sweet tea and sleeping all day. <laughs> no. Uh, so anyways, so now you are kind of like the Titans photographer. Yes. Which is crazy because like that's like 30 years of, co- not 30 years, I should back that up. About 20 years now, 22, of covering one football team. I know a few people that do it that are mostly with papers. Some people are on staff with a team or or were staff with the paper, now staff with the team. What is it like watching an organization grow from its inception to now a playoff contender? Because they're not they've never really been super successful. Well, they right? were they were they were I guess when they came to Nashville, it was like, you know, they were I think it was eight and eight. And the next year was another kind of eight and eight, nine and seven kind of year. And then ninety nine, they opened they changed the name from the Tennessee Oilers from or from Houston Oilers, Tennessee Oilers to to the Tennessee Titans. New uniforms, new stadium, new boom, everything. It was all brand new and everything. And they started uh, just winning at this at, at what was then Adelphia Coliseum, now Nissan Stadium. And they hadn't lost a home game, you know, for like an entire season, I guess, in '99, and go wow. on, and then go on to the Super Bowl. And it was just that first season in that new stadium and all that stuff was just ridiculous. We go to the or they go to Super Bowl 34 in Atlanta. I go to cover it. We that was a crazy playoff run. We had I can't remember all the games, but I do remember the AFC Championship being in Jacksonville. Flew back. We were supposed to fly back to Nashville because that was a the year they didn't have a full two weeks before the championship game and the Super Bowl. So we had to like change our plane tickets, fly directly from Jacksonville, which I had closed for Jacksonville, not for Atlanta, which turned out to be like, you know, middle of an ice storm that week. And it was cold. <laughs> <and> crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> that first year, you know, in 99 as the Titans was kind of amazing. And then there was like the 2001 team, which was really good. And 2002, really good. And then, you know, they were, then they lagged in the mid 2000s and had one or two playoff runs. You know, things weren't as great as they were 
yeah. before. And then, yeah, then they certainly lagged. And here we are 22 years later going back to the AFC Championship. So, Which is wild. It is. This yeah. season was crazy. So the city is changing as well, though, right? So the oh, city yeah. is going from, you know, so you're covering the team, but, on, you know, there's still six other days of the week. So you're still covering other stuff. The stadium, for those that aren't from here, uh, there's a river that comes right through downtown Nashville. And as an outsider, on one side is Nissan Stadium, the Titan Stadium. And then also on that side is East Nashville, which is now kind of like the hipster Brooklyn type neighborhood of the city. Right. But there's also like housing projects. There's also like a bunch of industrial stuff. Like if you look from the highway, I kind of joke with a friend who was visiting like, ah, Nissan Stadium, downtown. And then there's like a metal scrapyard or yeah. something right yeah. next to it, like PS- right next to the stadium. <laughs> PSC Metals, they've, they've owned that for a long time. Before the stadium was built, there was a barge building company that was on the on the Ingram Barge Building Company was, was there. So like they would launch barges, river barges, so they could, you know, move freight up and down the up and down the river they would just boom whatever time of the day and all of a sudden this barge was going splashing into the river <laughs> so there was a lot of industrial stuff there when they built the stadium i think that you know and then directly across from the stadium though is now it's like it's broadway it's yeah. the country music hall of fame yeah. it's music city center it's the predator stadium yep. like it is developed down there now what was it like back in the 99 people said that the real estate down there like no one even wanted the buildings there were some uh you could say pioneers or or folks who would who would go down i mean things were happening but they weren't booming as as the way are they are now of course you know when the nfl nfl came to town nhl came i think the year after and things really started to pick up so and that's when the interest in reinvestment into downtown and building businesses down there we had a plant at hollywood at one point which oh was, yeah <laughs> you know what can you do without that yeah exactly what can you do without that now it's something else i think now it's the jimmy buffett bar or something rather ah, margaritaville margaritaville i've yeah. been there sadly <laughs> i'm not proud to say i was there if jason re- aldean played if, and i had to film it if, if i remember correctly i think those were the two one of the two of the things that were in that building but yeah so that, i mean the, the the city has been you know on boom for a long time. Yeah. So as a photojournalist though, covering the city, how, how has that shift affected the way you work? What has it affected? Maybe the assignments you do? I, I don't know. Like my experience in Nashville so much has been a rather wealthy place with a lot of, you know, it's not rare to see a Maserati or Ferrari or Lamborghini. Like when I'm going to get groceries, going downtown to cover an assignment, like I'm covering, you know, maybe some hockey stuff or some NFL stuff or a lot of country music stars. And I'm photographing millionaires, like pretty commonly for a lot of assignments. But but like, how does that change from what it was like for you, like maybe 15, 20 years ago? Like, what, what were some of the assignments you're doing then? Because I, I don't know how much of that stuff you, you do at the paper, but I know I see some of the guys there and some of the ladies um, at those kind of assignments. So I know like they, that gets covered. But like, I'm trying to just see that timeline, I guess. A lot of those events were still the same, were n- the same, but not the not the same. Say CMA Fest used to be fanfare, which was used to be at the, at the fairgrounds. And it was much more low key and fan friendly, let's say. I mean, it was like you could almost reach out and touch Travis Tritt or your favorite Garth Brooks or any of those folks. Yeah. I mean, they were they were much more much more closer. They would be, you know, you could just reach out and touch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now they're just, you know, Luke Bryan and whoever else are on a stage, you know, a thousand miles away at the stadium versus playing a couple of stages at the Speedway. Yeah. You know, which, yeah. is, which is a lot different. When it, and they called it fanfare. And then those who remember... <laughs> <laughs> can't remember that but it was it was a lot different it was a much more laid-back event let's put yeah. it that way um and then other other stuff i mean kind of the way it's just a lot more laid back you know I yeah. think, and, and nashville has always had that that laid-back feel uh and i think people uh are drawn to it 
Yeah. Either you're put off by it or you're drawn to it. But a lot of people are like, man, this kind of, you know, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be all right. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. It's fine. It's, it's a, it is a very like low key city, yeah. which just makes it very livable. It's a very great place to live so far for me. So let's get back to photography. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we talked a lot about football history and city history. Yeah. So when you start approaching this football stuff, what are some of the objectives you were setting for yourself or maybe some goals either, either back then or today? Like, you know, you're covering a team for 20 years. You start to see so many. There's just so much to that. What oh, were yeah. some of the things you started to put forward and aim at and like, yeah, just goals and mindsets you had with covering a, a sport so heavily? Well, it was it, when I first started, I had no clue. I had no clue what I was doing. I was just I was you know, covering the game. I was looking for like maybe the best picture of whatever, you know, I could get out of it, you know, but not, and then I went to like a Rich Clarkson workshop, you know, so I sat down with all these, you know, different SI shooters and folks who were just freaking awesome at sports, sports photography. Like, you know, at the time, I think it was um, at Clutho. Oh man, bunch of, bunch of folks. I'm trying to think of all the names and like, I mean, I'm blanking. I'm getting old. Yeah. <laughs> but I sat down and like going through this workshop, going to that workshop and going through all the, all the things there. It helped me focus and figure out, okay, this is how you do sports photography. It's, it's more about um, telling the story of the game. You might get a wonderful picture, but I mean, it needs to sum up what this game was about because you could have an awesome picture, you know, and, and I focused in on being a storyteller of games versus just shooting action. I'll interject here. I think this is a big thing that a lot of young people don't understand and people who don't shoot sports don't understand. And I had no intention of this podcast becoming so sports heavy. We had a ton of sports people on. I fully <laughs> apologize to everyone, but it's what, I, it's what I do. It's right. Yeah, exactly. It's just, that's the way the cookie crumbles. But I feel like it's all the same thing. And that's how I was taught in school. Like you're always trying to tell stories. So if that's going out and making an advertisement, then you're telling the story of that brand. If that's going out and doing a photo essay that's fine art about pollution you have to tell that story with pictures the medium you're you're working in and the same thing is exactly true of a football game yeah yeah i mean so i like i would cover the game you know from start to finish or or you know two out get there two hours early get the warm-ups get all the, those different things and stay late of course but i'm i'm telling the story of the game and i i see what i was doing for the paper and covering the titans as i am the eyes and ears of the readers you know so i am there to report to them how your team did at XYZ game. So if they lost, then it's dejection. If they won, then, you know, I need some jubilation and I need some really kick-ass action, you know, on either side of that, either win yeah. or loss. So, but I'm, I'm there to tell the story for the readers. Yeah, I always love to hear staffers talk about people like that. You always, I mean, you always say like the readers. Can you talk a little about your relationship with that and like why that's so important to you as someone who works at a paper full-time? I work as a freelancer. I don't, ha I don't have that, I don't have that connection with the readership for a lot of my clients because they might be two or three levels removed or because it just changes you know what i mean i just worked for the wall street journal for the first time in years the other day so it's like it's hard to know the demographics what what is your relationship with these readers especially as someone who covers something as voraciously followed as sports and nfl specifically here in nashville the readers are my neighbors i'm covering it for them so it's like i can talk to my next door neighbor about or or shoot pictures for my next door neighbor or shoot pictures for some friends who you know live across across town or whatever that i've known for a long time or whatever so that's how i, I 
how I see our readers is, you know, my neighbors as my, you know, as a member of the community and people I care about. That's awesome. That's really cool. So you're, you're covering, you're telling the story of these games. What are some of the, what are some of the in-between, maybe like the, uh, between the lines that you start to pick up on over these years? I mean, I've covered the Buffalo Bills for like six or seven seasons now. I can't remember. I think six seasons. And I, I kind of like just, I just know little puzzle pieces between, you know what I mean? Whether that be player transactions, maybe it's people's personality. You start to really know every single coach on the sideline, which is a really big plus when you're trying to file all those pictures. But, right, um, right, right. <laughs> um, but what are some of like the storylines between all this stuff that you start to pick up on? One of the really cool things is I was able to build relate build relationship with either players, personnel, and whoever else is you know in the in the building over over on Titans Way or over on Great Circle Drive where there where the facilities are. And those relationships have helped me get access to different things, get me in closer, get the reader in closer so that they can see and hear and get a feeling of what's really going on in the you know at the game or in the facility or wherever else. I think that's one of those things I love about sports photography. I love telling the stories that have nothing to do with the game. I think those are like some of the most interesting stories. Do you have an example of one of those that maybe you told or, or one where you were able to go kind of behind the scenes and kind of learn something new or tell a new story for the readers? A couple of times. Back with Eddie George, I could spend time with him one time, just rolling with him for like an entire two or three days. It was, and he had some projects going on. And I got to, you know, hang out at the house. We got the, he had a couple of events he was doing as well, but I got to see all this back backstage kind of, kind of things. We sat down and played a little chess while we were doing it. You know, it was kind of, <laughs> it was just, you know, kind of fun, fun stuff to do. And, you know, it was really cool. And it was based on the relationship that I had, you know, and uh, the way we, the way I had built that relationship with them. Who are you building these relationships with? I mean, is this, I've done a few NFL stories for national publications and stuff. And it's like, I kind of go through players sometimes and then it seems sometimes the publication goes through like top down like through team how have you had found success in finding access to these kind of stories and i mean i know there's 20 years of a relationship helps way more than anything probably oh yeah mainly being around because you know i cover one team so i'm the face they know i'm um i'm you know have been at almost every training camp since you know, 1998, I guess, or, you know, 97, we didn't do much when somebody else had gone to training camp before I really got started into it. But from 98 on, I had been to like, I've been to every training camp players at some point, you know, get to like, Oh, you're that guy. Oh, you're that guy. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the connections are, are there, you know, um, the, of course the, the personnel staff or the uh, media relations staff know me, trust me, know what I can do, know, know my capabilities and know that they can trust me in situations or wherever I'm, you know, whatever they, you yeah. know, whatever might be going on. It's like almost unheard of in our industry now to have like a 20 plus year relationship with a team or with a city even. I mean, it's just such a blessing to have, but it's so cool to hear these things kind of pay out. You know what I mean? There's so much value in you staying on staff that's like hard hard to quantify, I guess, is right. what I'm picking up on. Right. It is, it is, it is really, and, and the, you know, a plus for, as well as the, uh, for the Titans, because they have their media staff has also been in place for a long time, for 20 years or more. You know, we have a relationship. We know each other. We know how to deal with each other. I can ask for certain things that other people probably wouldn't be able to get a yes to, you know, and because I have that relationship. <laughs> I know when it comes to game day, I think we should get 
get to the brass tacks of covering right. a game. So I met you at the games last year when I, I covered my first Titans game in, in Tennessee. I think I'd photographed the Titans before maybe, but anyways. I met you. You were the dude with the yellow hat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. always have a yellow hat yep. on yep. with no branding, no cheering in the press box, no, uh, no, press no box. Titans logos, no nope. Fred's logos. We always... Yep. I love that. Well, occasionally there have been some Preds logos, but okay, I mean, yeah, Preds logos <laughs> different. Yeah, it's, it's NFL different, game. different sport. Different NFL sport, game, right? Yeah, you could wear MLB or Preds stuff to the to the Titans games, which is a funny aside. Actually, I'm going to explain this because I think a lot of young people don't know this. So you are not supposed to wear branded like team branded stuff to cover a sport, right? I remember right. when I covered my first baseball game, I was wearing some a baseball hat because I was going to be out in the sun and I just wore some baseball hat and I get to the dugout. I go to my spot, whatever. I'm an intern at a paper. And I remember this guy comes over. He's like, you got to take that hat off. I'm like, dude, it's like 95 degrees out. The sun's right there. It's noon. I'm not taking this hat off. He's like, well, you got to cover up that logo. And I was like, ha ha. I know it's not a Tigers logo. I don't know what it was even. And he's like, no, no, like you can't wear that. I looked around at the other people and they're like, yeah. And it was all old guys. And I'm like, oh, okay. And like a older woman. And so it's like all these older people. And this one lady from Reuters was really cool to me those first couple of times. She's like, yeah, they're not, they're not fucking with you basically. <laughs> right, right. And right, so right. I, he's telling you the truth. So I gaff taped over the logo. I was like, oh man, this is wild, you know? Yeah, there's, so, no, there's no cheering in the press box. And, yeah. And there's no cheering on the field. I mean, you're there to do a job and that job is to cover the what's happening on the field. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So I do wear a yellow hat. And, and I started wearing, I wear that yellow hat in honor of my grandmother. We, I started wearing it I guess when, I guess the first couple of seasons, I'd wear that. She would watch every single game. She watched it and she would, she would point out, she would find the yellow hat and it's like, there he is. There's my grandson. And so, <laughs> and she passed several years later, but I, I continue to wear it in honor of her. That's so, so awesome. Yeah. That's the best reason to wear a yellow hat. That's yeah, the best yeah. reason to wear any hat. Yeah. Because yeah. now, now all my friends and people I know, whatever, it's like, oh, there's George. Oh, there's George. And the security people people go oh there's george what's he doing <laughs> yeah keep an eye on that one <laughs> yeah that guy the yellow hat watch out for him yeah he's gonna think he owns the place uh, but it had it has helped and hindered but mostly it's helped <laughs> yeah no i think i think it's cool to have stuff like that i think i always have friends in the upper deck at games and they're texting me like where are you and i'm like i'm the only one with tattoos and they're like yeah but which one i'm like i'm like the only one and they're like yeah we can't tell i'm like all right so i'm gonna have to get like a pink hat or like a neon green hat yeah, i yeah. can't copy you but i like slow <laughs> I'll just I'll go one shade over. Get, get a get a you know bright colored hat. I think it's funny. And one of our other staffers, one I guess it was last year, he showed up. He wore a yellow hat, and I got really upset with him. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "You can't wear that." He's like, "But it's just a hat." And I'm like, dude. I wear the yellow hat. <laughs> I was kind of, a, I was kind of an asshole hat. about it, but it was, you know, we laughed about it later. I I'm was, 100% just going to orchestrate everyone wearing a yellow hat to one of these games. Just, just, just it'll be like oh, the one. Oh, don't do it. The don't one, no it. George Day. Or we'll all wear red hats. And then don't mess, be like, don't yeah. mess with my mojo. Don't, don't, don't kill my vibe. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. So when it comes to game day, that's how we met. And you are just like, you're just a ray of positivity on the sideline. And there, there is all walks of life when it comes to sports photography, right? And most people that are staffers are not usually the, the sunshine on the sideline. You, I'm not being rude to other staffers, but usually it's like you describe the other people at the paper where it's like, man, I could be home. It's Sunday. You know what right. I mean? It, like the allure of covering something like that kind of wears off on a lot of people, I feel, which is totally justified. You know what I mean? Like you're there. If the game's at one and since we're in Central, they're at noon. So we're getting there at like eight, nine in the morning. Right, right. You're there till six o'clock at night. Right. Your whole Sunday's gone. You got traffic when it comes to Nashville. It's like it is a slog. So I understand why people wear that wears out on staffers, but you're the opposite. Like, how do you keep that going? How do you keep that energy going? 20 years of covering the same team. I, I don't know. I, I, 
somehow or another Sunday I get juiced. As football season comes around, I just I love the sport, you know, and I didn't play. I didn't play the game. You know, I, like I said before, I was like going to be a musician before I got into photography, you know, and when I started, got into photography, I wasn't necessarily a sports photographer, but when, you know, the Titans moved to town and I started covering football and I was like, holy shit, this is, this is, I love it because it's like the only thing happening on Sunday, Sunday's in the fall, everybody's tuned in. And that's what we're doing. You know, you might go to church and then sneak home or it might put the earbud in your ear while you're at, sitting in the <laughs> pew or wherever else. But it's the thing that's happening. And, and, you know, and we're there and we're covering it and we're on the field. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're up front and close, you know, I've, I've, I've taken, I've had, you know, a few friends come and assist me and do things. And they're like, this is crazy, you know, because these guys are, you know, giant athletes and they're going 50 miles an hour and they slam right into each other. And you're right there next to it or right there in front of it. And you get to hear every pop. You know, every crash, every whatever else is happening. There is nothing. I don't know what the front row of a football stadium is like because I don't have thousands of dollars to buy a ticket. Right. But I can say whatever it is, it's nothing like being on the field. It's right. nothing like it. Right. Uh, They're not as close as we are. There's a yellow line that goes around the field and, you know, we're as close as you can get. Yeah. Without being on it. We're as close as the coaches. Like, yes, I mean, yes. the only people are close are the referees and the players. Right. That's it. And right. it's, there is something about it, man. It, it is invigorating. I love it. I like, I'm the same way as you. Sundays in the fall, man. I love football. I didn't play football growing up. I like totally hated the football team because they got taken out to food before their games. And I was like, <laughs> we could be spending that on science classes or soccer team. You know, I was a dork. Uh, still a dork. Just have tattoos now but then the football team you know it was like i didn't really like it and i went to penn state games and i you know i liked football a bit but like kind of got into it but then once i started covering it man big football guy now i right. can i can talk football all day like right I, and it's it because like i feel like with you same idea you get into covering the team you get into covering the sport you get to like know all the storylines right. right right yeah you know and that's and that's what has helped you know in in the coverage and the things that and, you know i know uh what's happening with this team especially with the titans i know what's happening i keep up with you know all the news that's coming in and out of out of the locker room or or on the field or in the front office or whatever so when somebody comes down to the field i know oh there's there's the owner i we need pictures of her or there's, you know, general manager, John Robinson or whoever else, or, or, you know, back to Floyd Reese when he was, you know, general manager. I mean, I know most of the inner workings of, of the, of the team that I, you know, I just kind of know what I need to get, you know, and what needs to be photographed and what needs to be documented. Yeah. You know, so that's like the superpower of being uh, a local photojournalist when it comes to anything. I mean, that's I, I mean, that's the superpower when it comes to covering anything at all. Right. So right. that's like that's a big criticism um, of a lot of like the New York City or L.A. based photographers that drop in and do a story. Right. Um, right. We just saw that with the George Floyd protest. There was backlash because, you know, you're dropping these people in from New York City to cover this. Not as much as previous things. I know Ferguson, there was a bit of that, too. And, you know, it comes to politics, like the last political election, you know, you had these people from New York City, mostly like kind of dropping into cities and states like they all drop into Iowa and then they leave a few weeks later and right. stuff like that. As someone who's from an area that's not the New York or L.A.'s and now I know it's sports related, it's not the same thing. But like, can you talk a little bit to that and your knowledge of an area and like how that influences the way you work in this context or another? Knowing as much as you can about whatever subject it is, it just gives you the opportunity, gives you uh, better opportunities to make photographs because, you know, you might know a tendency of somebody or, you know, knowing a situation, you know, where to be, where not to be. Like when I apply it to a game, it's like on third down, they might throw it to X player to back then it would be Delaney Walker or maybe now Johnny Smith or somebody knowing all those things, you know, helps you. The more, you know, the better luck you will have. 
Yeah. And especially, you know, in communities. And if you know something's popping off and you understand what's going on in the community, the same same things will translate to news assignments or to documentary assignments or whatever else. Yeah. I, I ran into that in Louisville the last few weekends. I met a guy and he's an older guy and I kept seeing him everywhere. And so finally, like the second or third time I saw him, I said, hey, you know, who do you work for? He goes, ah, nobody. I was like, nobody. I was like, you've been on everything for somebody who works for nobody. He's like, ah, I work for the local um, black newspaper. I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I said, that's not nobody. I said, that's somebody. And he goes, yeah, he goes, that's cool, whatever. And I was like, well, that sounds cool to me. And so I told him, I was like, hey, I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't live here. Like, can you tell me a little about this, whatever situation we were at? And he was, he gave me a little insight and he goes, you know what? He goes, what's really going to happen is he goes, they're going to put tents in that park and this, that, and the other thing. And he made like all these claims about this area of the town. And I was like, cool. I did not believe him. I was like, all right, cool. You know, and I went back down there. None of that existed. And I was just like, wow. I was like, I don't know if he's right or wrong, but it hasn't started yet. Sure enough, fast forward a week or two, that whole entire area is full of tents. Everything he said Mm -hmm. was 100% true. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Mm -hmm. this is the power of like working in a community for such a long time is like, you know, I can I can be the best photographer on the planet Earth. But if I don't know the community, I'm never going to make as strong of pictures as the person who's worked there day in and day out for years, Um, no matter what what if they're from there or not but either way like you know you know the community you start to build those relationships i thought that was super interesting and and i think 90 percent of what we do is about relationship a lot of times we have to walk into the door and build a relationship you know immediately you know off of hello how you doing when you've been in a community a long time you know the faces you know the people you know who the movers and shakers are and it definitely it definitely helps so you just have to stay stay plugged in in order to, you know, make your better opportunities. You really do. And that that could be pertaining to a long-term story where you're, maybe it's not a place you live, but you just slowly build that relationship and that history. Um, I know on one of my projects, I actually went to the library and I was reading historic books about the area and I would spend days just reading history books to understand more context and, de- and deeper meaning of the photographs I was making in comparison to like where the city had come from, you know? Right. And basically what I researched was the cycles of economy and economic, you know, basically the economy had cycled in this area before. And even though we were in a downturn now, I could see historically this has already happened three, four five times or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of interesting to see where all the city all started, all that stuff. But I think that's something that, you know, I think some of us understand and I think some of us don't even think about when we work so i think it's cool to hear it can apply to sports and it can apply to documentary work and everywhere in between i think that's really cool exactly exactly they cross over (laughs) yeah yeah i think so much of this education in photojournalism just crosses over everywhere so we go to these games what are you thinking as far as like gear uh approaches like what what is your mentality when you're covering a football game uh okay when it comes to gear what i usually carry uh or what i've come to the last couple of seasons of carry is like a 600, you know, on a fast body D5. Uh, what am I? What am I? Nikon D5? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you, I think you guys are D5s. D6s yeah. are coming, I've told. But the Olympics didn't happen, so maybe that's not coming and COVID happened. Uh, well, maybe one day, you know. Yeah, I think, um, I think everyone's camera orders got put on hand, on hold this year. Sure, that I know. Yeah. Everyone I know the staff, like, hey, we're getting new cameras this summer. New cameras are out. And then, like, COVID happened. And they're like, hey, like, those old cameras are yep. just fine. Put on, the, put on the brakes. Put on the brakes. Everything's cool. What you, keep going. Keep rocking what you got. That's right. Um, yeah, but I used uh, 600 and, like, an 80 to... 400 as my secondary lens and then i use an oh shit camera which on around my neck like a with a 50 millimeter oh yeah and then i carry a, a wide angle lens you know for post game or pre-game or something other in a, in a pouch or whatever and that's you know that's kind of most of what i carry for a football game yeah yeah you're i call it a gut shot camera the chest camera you do a 50 mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. that's interesting i've heard people say that i've 
I've never seen anybody do it though. I always run like a 16 to 35 or a 24 to 70 because I want to get that juby. I want to get that celebration in oh, front. Oh, I have I have it with me, but I just like I feel, I feel like a 50 is you know because where I am positioned on the field, sometimes a 50 is is right on, and sometimes it's too tight. Yeah. So, but yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times it's worked out. It's worked well. It's worked well. The weight really adds up over the course yes, of a does. day. That's like the big thing that I think like you can build the perfect kit in your mind, but then when it comes to carrying it for six hours, whatever we were out there for, yeah. it really adds up. I mean, and changing that from a 16 to 35 to a 50 would make a huge difference it, over the course of the day. It, it would. It, maybe maybe it's a 35. Maybe it's, you know, but a prime, you know, a little small prime lens. Uh, if you're going to wear it on your neck, for me, I think it's, you know, the smaller the better. Yeah, I'm an idiot and still run a big lens and I <laughs> now I need to change. <laughs> um, I always have like, I always hear like, uh, I always talk about, I ever talk about photo tech. I always have like people that say things and people that I like that say things. It's like two different data <laughs> pools you know so it's like the like i got a friend i, I know a bunch of people that shoot sony and i like I, I'm, I'm sure there's people listening to this that, that don't fall into this but a lot of people like switch to sony and i'm a sony hater and everybody knows it but so i'm a big sony hater and i'm like yeah everybody who shoots it gets paid blah 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 and it's true a lot of my friends who shoot it all got paid and then i met one buddy who shot it and i was like oh dang you shoot sony and he's like yeah and i was like dang and he's like what what's wrong with that i was like oh nothing's wrong with that he goes but you're real good and you shoot sony and he was just like oh thanks and i was like no i'm just saying like you know i trust your judgment and he was like i saved a bunch of money i was like ah i got it <laughs> there it is you got paid yeah you got paid everyone got paid uh but so anyways you got so the 600 is the way i go now too um a lot of people don't run a 600 what are some of the advantages you see of that and i know well, this is getting kind of techie for our regular feed people We're, we try to keep the tech on the patreon right. but anyways i like to reach out and touch i mean i like you know i'm kind of still when, when it comes to action i like that old school crunch i mean if if i like to be able to see under the helmet and if the face gets rearranged you know with the hit or something like yeah uh, you know, I want to be able to see that. I want to be, I want people to see the eyes. I want people to, you know, cause I think that's a lot where, where sports images are is like what the emotion that happens during the action, you know, the anticipation, the surprise, the whatever, you know, might be going on. Like the guy's reaching for the ball and his eyes light up, you know? Yeah. Um, or, you know, he's like, you could see, I've had a really, I think in a, some of the pictures I'm, I'm like going through my mind, I'm like thinking of like uh, Byron Leftwich when he played for Jacksonville. I was shooting, this was crazy. I was shooting like a 600 on from the sideline into the, you know, into oh, you know, yeah. on the side. So it was yeah. like super, super, that's, super that's, tight. That's a really tight angle. Yeah, For anyone yeah. who's never used a 600, that is aggressive. Yeah. That is like was, balancing a thumbtack on the end of a pool cue. It, it is tight. Exactly. But it got this awesome picture. Byron left, which like curl, looks like a little girl, like curled up. Like he's, oh shit, I'm about to be hit. And like the, and the guy's coming in from the right side of the frame. And he's just like, just looking at him like, you're mine. And, <laughs> and it's like, and it's that moment. It's that penultimate moment. It's the moment just before the moment. So it's like that, you know, for me, the Cartier Bresson. Oh yeah. The, decisive moment yeah and, and like and it's just before the hit but it's like one of my that's one a picture that stands out you know yeah that, that for me and, and when it comes to football i think there's so many things that happen to the backgrounds as far as for me from a financial standpoint they sell better so that always helps me um i have different purposes when i'm at a game i mean i have the same purpose as what you're saying i have other financial motives i guess right right as i work for a wire that sells pictures but there's something about the way of looking at a lens so far removed on how we normally see the world that just things compress and change in a way that you're just it's a very expensive lens. So oh, it's yeah. like not many people have them. So when you see something with it, it's like that looks so different mm -hmm. than everything mm -hmm. else I've ever seen. That's what right. I, I really like about that, you know, and, and different in a way that it's not fisheye or something dumb like that. It's like right. 
different in a way that's like, wait, why can I see their eyes so well? Why can why is the background obliterated? Why is it's, it's gone? And it, it, but it, you know, using a lens like that just brings you completely into exactly what's happening in that moment between whoever's in the in the frame. And yeah. I think that's what's important. Yeah, it's awesome. I love that. As far as other photography goes, what are some of the things you do on the other days of the week? Uh, all kinds of news assignments and, and whatever else that maybe, you know, events or whatever else might be the assignment of the day. During the football season, is it like how many days a week do you spend on the Titans during a normal football season? Uh, normal, or during season, I should say. During the season, I'm there. Used to be a lot more uh, when we had a lot more staff, but now it's mainly uh, training camp. I'll be there at, at the practices almost every day. But then once the season gets going, I have to get back in the groove of shooting, um, you know, regular assignments, either Monday through Friday or Monday through Thursday or whatever and then uh, game day on Sunday. Yeah. 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 And then I, that's the one thing I really love about a local newspaper photographer. I've always, I've always told a lot of young people that are like looking up to the, the wire people or the sports illustrated people when they were a thing is like, there's someone at your local paper, which Tennessee is a bigger paper than most people's local paper, but there's someone at your local paper that can probably outshoot or shout, shoot as well as all of your icons most days of the weekend. Right. And I think it's so cool that like those people only do sports. And while you have to do a balance between football on Sundays, but then it could be a business portrait Wednesday at two. Exactly. Or exactly. or whatever. Like how do you, how do you kind of tailor your kit and your approach? And like, like, cause I feel like, you know, people always think like, oh, well, there are sports photographers. They do sports things, you know, or whatever. Like how, how do you tailor that shift back and forth when you're in between sports and regular assignments or other things? Well, I mean, being a newspaper photographer, a photojournalist, you're like a jack of all trades. So you have to be you know, able to do a two, three light, you know, portrait setup for something potentially, or even, you know, spending hours in somebody's house, you know, and getting to know them and doing a documentary, documentary piece on them. And, you know, as a, as a photographer and for a newspaper, you just have to have the capability to, to bounce back and forth between, like I said, it's jack of all trades yeah, uh, and, or jack of all photography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I remember like I used to do like a food shoot one day, a football game yep. the next day. Yep. And then like, and I was like, what? What is this career? What is my life? But it, but in, in that regard, it's great because it's never it's never the same. It's yeah. never the same. You know, Monday you might be at a at a uh, council meeting. Tuesday you might be in a kitchen with a chef. You know, Wednesday you might be on you know at a schoolyard or or you know at a school with a with you know doing an education story. And then come Saturday you might be at a college game or you might be at some festival or something that or a block party or something that might be going on. Or, yeah. And then Sunday, you know, you're at a football game. Yeah. Totally. So, so I mean. I love all aspects of it. I, that's why I love this career so much. <laughs> uh, if, if I get a little romanticized about it for a second, it has its downs, but it sure does have a lot of ups too. Right, right. We're going to dive into the football a little deeper on the Patreon. Okay. Um, We've actually been talking quite a bit. I the in-person ones are a totally different planet here, guys. We, whenever yeah, exactly. we get back to in-person podcasts, we're going to have a go, podcast quality is going to go crazy. Yeah, go uh, um, I kind of have these three questions I end every interview on, the normal interview, then we do the Patreon as well. Um, for those that aren't subscribed to the Patreon, uh, a couple bucks a month gets you a little bit of support to us to help offset the you know hosting costs, stuff like that, and helps keep making all this stuff possible, which I know we're trying really hard to keep a schedule going, but it's all one or two people people working on this so it's hard um but anyways uh so today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into football and some of the tech and stuff that uh george uses to cover the team so we kind of end these interviews with the three same questions and the idea being that we kind of build this database of like everybody has you know all these different walks of lives 
basically sports photographers so far. I'm kidding, but <laughs> feels like that most weeks. And the idea is that we all kind of get these different answers. Uh, so the number one, the first question is, what's a lesson or a skill or something that you wish you learned a long time ago that you know now? Oh, wow. <laughs> try to dig deep here on the reciprocity <laughs> podcast. Dang I'm like, it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. Um, I'm trying to think. Luckily, you know, going to, to the school I went to, it was, it was, you know, in terms of photography, it was fairly well-rounded. So the, I was able to t- dip my toes into different aspects. So I can't think of... It could be something like just an approach, a life lesson. Like, I mean, it's really anything that right, right. that you that you want to... Any, anywhere you want to take it on just something that like you now you're like, oh, geez, I wish I knew this 20 years ago. <laughs> I wish I knew the lottery numbers 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> we all, I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, all, wow. I'm sorry. But I, at the moment, I just can't think of we'll have to circle back to that. one. Let's circle back. All right. So the second one is in ways simpler. Uh, it is uh, what what is something whether that be equipment or otherwise that you you just have to bring with you when you go on assignment um a camera for one <laughs> <laughs> um i don't have like a, a well let me think my usual bag or what i usually carry right now is either just is two bodies and two lenses uh either 1635 on like on a on a regular stuff it's funny i used to, when i first started I used to bring a big giant donkey bag with every lens and everything that, you know, I could possibly carry. Now it's like, I don't, I don't need all that. You yeah. Know? I, I've gotten yeah. to where I need as little as possible, you know, cause I'm like, I don't want to carry it. <laughs> it gets too heavy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like the one, I, I would say the, uh, I can't think of one thing that I have to have. I mean, I, I, I think the, the key there is, is being able to work with whatever you have. Sometimes I have actually shot an, a shot an assignment on an iPhone, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's um, awesome. you know, I, I, I remember there was funny, there was one, we kind of snuck into a, an event at the arena one time. This was, I think the statute of limitations to run out on this, but they weren't allowing media in. And it was like some religious organization that had taken over the whole place. And so I rolled in with like a little, at the time, like a little film point and shoot camera and used that, you know, as, as something to, to document whatever was going on in there. You yeah. Know? So <laughs> we snuck in. <laughs> Hop the fence. Yeah. yeah. Hop the fence and got in, you know, cause they weren't, they weren't letting, allowing media to come in yeah. for whatever this event was. But so that was, we went in as a regular Joe Schmo and clicked off a few frames bought our tickets bought our tickets bought our tickets yeah yeah and paid yeah paid for our ticket to ride and 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 did that so but something that i have to have in my bag um the camera yeah yeah no worries i I love the answer just having less i think yeah yeah i think there's no wrong answer that's the point of all this so um, this is like a uh, high school guidance counselor classroom time. Right, right. <laughs> There's no yeah. wrong answer, There's guys. No, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. There's no, yeah. my, one of my favorite lenses, though, is like a uh, 51.4. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I, I dig that lens. I use it quite a bit um, for portraiture and whatever else. Yeah. But, or, you know, or personal documentary and, you know, that kind of stuff. 135 F2 is like my, you yeah. Know, yeah. Oh, man, that's a that's little magic one. lens. Yeah. I yeah. use it all I the time. I remember that. I remember that one. I had, I had so fun. I had old manual 135 <laughs> F2 back when I first started shooting with my FM2s. And <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, so our, our third question before we circle back, yes. um, it's pretty similar to the first one, but it's a lot different. We have an audience that's kind of made up of photojournalists, some photo editors, um, a lot of young photojournalists. And 
I kind of want to hear what you would say to all of them. This could be like a soapbox moment. Ooh. It could be a teaching moment. Um, I just want like, what would be your your thing that you would like to say to like the photojournalism community at large? I feel like I should have like a prepared statement. Yeah, no, this is uh, <laughs> to fill this in. This is off the cuff for everybody. So, so no one ever so has that. So, so nobody ever gets the benefit of knowing this is coming. Correct. Yes. <laughs> unless, no. unless they are regular listeners. Okay. Correct. <laughs> you know, I, I think the most important thing that we can do is know our community that we're covering. I think the more we know about our community, the better we can serve them, the better that we can, you know, cover the issues that are, that are facing our community that we're interested in and in reaching out to. So that's it. Just know your neighbors. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think that gets lost sometimes. I think in some papers and some organizations, that's like a big focus, you know, a smaller paper, maybe a family owned paper. But I feel like that's a that's a big thing that I think gets lost on a national level or like a big discussion level. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not I'm not going to every conference. So I mean if people are saying this, don't lambast me for it. But you know what I mean? <laughs> right, like I don't right. feel like people like they talk a lot about issues in the community, issues in the career and stuff like that. But you rarely hear that like you know, people should see tenured places for longer or or things that kind of develop those communities. And I think some of the other initiatives in the industry are trying to do that. But it is really important to think that, like, you know, the way if you ever seen the movie Spotlight. Yeah. At yeah, the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I love that paper. I love that, that movie so much. But I love what the guy, the new publisher comes in. He's the a-hole from out of town. Right, they all right, hate him. Right. And he's like, you know, I think right now my goal is to make this an essential paper for our readers. And, you know, Michael Keaton says, well, you know, well, I think it already is. And the guy says, well, I think we can do better. And I, I like, that's one of my favorite parts of that whole movie is like, well, wherever we are, we can be better. Right, right, right. We always, we always do better. We always strive to, 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 you know, take it to the next level. But I think the main thing is just know your people, know your, know your writers, no, not, no, not your writers, but know your neighbors, know your, you know, the people you're serving. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the really big negatives to the freelance culture that's going through the industry now is that like, you know, you have the opportunity to build that relationship, know these people and you've been here your whole life. But in addition to that, you've worked at the paper for almost 30 years. There's so many relationships and connections you can build and maintain. You probably go to a crime scene and and know some of the first responders or know the other journalists or maybe know the local council member and stuff like that. Exactly. Um, Or during the tornadoes. We should, we didn't talk about the tornadoes. Oh, we didn't talk about the tornadoes. Oh my God. We got to talk to the Oh, we'll get to the tornadoes in a second. Sorry, everybody. This is fake class three questions. Um, but like you will you will know so many things in comparison to even me who lives in the city. Like it's rare that I freelance in the city for news. I mean, it's, it's happening, but it's, you know, it's generally a regional thing, mm-hmm. which is how most of us work. So it's like it's there's so much value to that. And I get so frustrated that there's so few spots for people to land to build those connections. Yeah, and it is it is difficult. But I mean, that the essence of what we do is relationship building and you have to, you know, build that as quickly as possible. Uh, and the more, you know, about your community, you're going to cover, you know, yeah. the, the, the better luck you're going to create for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Before tornadoes. Okay. What's the one life lesson or lesson or technical thing that you wish you knew now that you, you wish you learned 10 or 20 years ago? Hmm. That what I know now that I wish was, you knew. Ah, here we go. Now, this is where a sta- another staffer can really help you and, and, and has, has been super, super helpful. I was never a remote guy, all right? First off, when covering, say, Predators or, or arena sports or something like that, I was, I am terrified of heights. I cannot stand, I Same. can't stand them. I hate ladders. Heights are okay. Yeah. Ladders are terrifying. Heights. Heights, looking or being, you know, up in the top of a uh, uh, arena, up in the rafters or whatever. So 
rem- I was never good at remotes until one of our other staffers came in, uh, Andrew Nellis, who pushed, I think we push each other, you know, we push each other to be better, which is good. And I mean, I think him as, as a really good friend and not really competitor, but you know, we just push each other to do well. Yeah. He has really clued me in on what gear to have, you know, what safety cables are, how important they are. <laughs> yeah. Big time. <laughs> big time. Big time. Exactly. You don't want to be that guy. Let me tell you that now. So, um, but has really, uh, helped me figure out how to do remotes and do them well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That is something I, it's funny cause I, I've told a few young kids, they're like, ah, oh, you've covered the NFL. You've went to playoffs. You've went to this or whatever. And I've done like all these kind of cool things. And they're like, you must know everything about remotes. And I'm like, like well, you no. don't do remotes in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, there, are, there are no remotes really in football. Right. The carrier dome had a soft roof. So you couldn't do remotes. Right. And I never covered hockey really. I mean, I covered hockey, but it was at small town teams where there, I didn't have the budget to buy a remote set up for a goal and they wouldn't let me put one in anyways. Cause right. the star Gazette paying me six, bucks that's what i used to make covering i cover sports for 60 bucks for oh the day. goodness wow yeah that's uh that's the that's the hard truth kids if yep. you're still listening that's how you, that's how you get good at sports you make 60 bucks a weekend for it, three a year or two it ain't easy y'all it ain't easy <laughs> uh and then you get the joy of buying expensive gear but yep. um yeah i totally agree with i love that competitive nature of like having people around you andrew's awesome i see him at the you know we're friends now too and mm-hmm. uh i love having people around that are competitive and good i learned that from other staffers that like are other people in the career when i was younger that it's like you know there's it's good to have healthy fun competition right and there's even good to have full-out competition but they're like just know that like my friend he's egyptian and he says uh me and my brother against my cousin this is like a, i guess an egyptian proverb me okay. and my brother against my cousin me and my cousin against a stranger and that's how i feel about like right, right, once right. he said that a few weeks ago i was like that's how it feels in photojournalism like you yeah. know what i mean like I'm against you, but like if someone else came into the stadium, well, right. we're against that guy. Like, right, right, right. Whoever right, this out of towner right. is, like, nah, man, right. you gotta follow the rules, exactly, bud. Like, exactly. George exactly. Andrew, I over here on we're the locals. Right. Like, yep, yep. This is uh, this is how we do this. Yeah, exactly. This is how we do it here. That's, that's how that I don't works. know where you're from, but where we do it here is like this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so with our fake final three questions before we get to the Patreon, we missed the tornadoes. So we oh, both yes. covered the tornado, and yes. um, let's talk about that a little bit. So we had a tornado come through nashville which first of march first of march and it kind of just drew drew a straight line across the city really it, it we at the time i lived in bellevue and you lived in yep. bellevue which yep. is on the west side mm-hmm. and it missed us luckily yes still woke me up took the roof off of andrew's house yes it did which is when i decided to go out you were already out though right yeah well I, actually andrew and i were talking to each other i had i had shot the the i guess it was march 3rd i think it was like one of the last predators games I was covering, That's right. yeah, I think Andrew, you know, Andrew was our normal predator shooter and he had the night off for that week off or something. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I think he just had the night off. And so I was filling in, covering, covering the game and uh, I'd shot the game, filed my stuff, was on my way home, got to the house and, had, and I knew the storm, you know, weather was getting a little funky around downtown. So I was, came in, sat down in the kitchen or whatever, just chilling for a minute, watching the, watching the weather. Cause, and then had called Andrew, I guess it was like the storm storm hit and it was on the West side of town called Andrew. And then he and I were talking and as we were talking, he's like, the roof came off of his house. He's like, I gotta go and click hung up. And I was like, 
like two minutes later, we talked again and he's like, cause we were making a plan as to where we were going to go cover stuff. Yeah. I was going to head towards uh, West Nashville North and he was probably going to head where he lives on the east side of town and Donaldson and further, further east. But then what happened to Andrew happened. And so, so he had to stay home and deal with his, his of whole course. situation. Right. And, but I headed towards North Nashville and what was going on, going on there. Yeah. I was actually texting him as well. I was like, it was late. It was like 1230. Yeah, it was 1231 in the morning. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, I text him. I think I might have texted you too, or I didn't have your number, but I text him and I was like, hey man, like I'm hiding in my bathroom. What are you seeing? I'm watching like channel five on my iPhone or mm-hmm. my iPad and kind of like, is this real? I mean, the thing is, is like down here, I'm not, I'm new to tornadoes. Like tornadoes are totally foreign to me. I've been in a few now, uh, visiting friends in Alabama, now living here. Mm-hmm. Um, and by I say in, not literally in, right, but near. Right, 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 and, right. and the speed at which they come out is unprecedented. I mean, it's like someone flicking a light switch on. It seems to me like I remember down in Alabama the one time it was like a sunny, nice day. We were hanging out in the front lawn. Then all of a sudden the alarm goes off and we were racing from it was a trailer park. We were racing from the trailer park to the shelter mm-hmm. across, you know, across the street um, at the college there. And it's just like it's so instant. So same thing happened here and it's like calm. It was kind of breezy. Then all of a sudden it's like, Bleh, you know, tornado. I was asleep and woke up and um, so I'm texting him trying to figure out. And he's like, eh, I don't know. And I, I'm I'm looking at the national news. I'm like, is this national news? Like if I look for the local paper, of course, I'm going out. But like right. I'm national news. So I'm like, eh. and then he texted me. His roof was gone. And I was like. Whoop, time to go. And I right. packed up the bags. Luckily, through some snacks and drinks in the car, through the boots in the car, through the iPad in the car, which has cellular so I can watch the news. Right. And I just headed out. And I was out for from one in the morning till nine or 10 o'clock at night that night. Same here. Same here. It was kind of, yeah, after it was like almost, you know, it was a 24 hour day. <laughs> yeah. More. It was 24, 20. Seven something rather day because you know I'd Predators game you know meaning I got to the stadium or the arena about four or five o'clock or whatever to set up remotes yeah like we talked about before and yep. then and then um you know got home for like two seconds and hit the street again and yeah I was in it was really wild to to, to covered several other tornadoes before but it, you know going through North Nashville and and seeing it usually it's like the next morning or whatever, but I'm really, I'm out there on the street at, you know, one in the morning and people are, you know, just coming out of their house trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Yeah. You know, and like sides of houses off their foundation, houses flattened, all that stuff. It was, it was just, wild. It was de- yeah. It was, it really was wild. wild. Yeah. I was out there at the same time as you. I, I went straight, I was watching channel five and they said, oh, this auto zone's messed up. So I was like, all right, I know where that is. So mm-hmm. I got off at Centennial and scooted through the back side there, kind of, Got got off of 51st, went through Centennial over plus there's like an HBCU over there, I think. Yeah, over um, by Tennessee State. Yeah, yeah. Tennessee State. And mm-hmm. then came out that way. And um I remember we were texting you and I and kind of like, hey, what's going on? Where are you? And then we're so we're in the middle of this whole thing, and you were kind of on one side, I was on the other, and then I was telling you what I was seeing. And right. I thought it was really cool. I mean, we don't work for the same place, but I thought it was really cool to have like I love examples of this in the community where it's like, you know, hey, we're competing right now right but i'm still gonna give you everything i know right because i know it's like hey we're here to this isn't about us right it's not about us it's about it's about covering the community we've talked about before it's like you know so if and and you know in this situation it's not like you know we're not beating each other it's not like a a super competitive story we gotta you know you gotta get out before me or i gotta get out before you or something like that it's just like you know my desk was in bed (laughs) 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 but you know it was just trying to get trying to cover the story yeah 
Yeah, I thought that was really cool. And then so so we both went our our ways around the city, never really crossing paths. But then you called me and you're like, hey, man, FYI, this is coming back through again. And that was like, I remember I was in the middle of the street when you told me that. Mm-hmm. And I was on, I don't know, it was 18th or 17th. It was somewhere you had just been. And I like, okay. you were like, hey, check out this. And I told you where I just was. And like, so anyways. And I remember there was just people like meandering through the streets. It was totally pitch black. I mean, there's no street right. lights. There's right. no power. Right. right. Couldn't see a thing. And then it's like, oh, and I had to tell these people like, hey, you got to get off the street or go some, I don't know where I'm going, but like allegedly this is coming back through in 15 minutes right another another system was coming through i remember because i remember being out and it was dry it stopped raining and then next another storm was coming through at about three or four in the morning or something yeah. or other yeah and it was it was just like well, all right let's hunker down again so right i ended up uh there was some guy there who was from uh iraq i think or iran mm-hmm. one of the two and he was here on some kind of uh like not teach for america but like report for america or something and he's like wandering on the street and i've never met him but he has like his press badge on and i was like hey you know are you covering this and he's like no I, my house just got smashed i was like oh wow and he's like yeah i was like well i told him the same thing i said hey well you know I don't know what to tell you but like the storm's going through and he's like can i go with you and i was like i'm not going anywhere like i'm you know, I'm covering that. I'm like going to the next right, neighborhood right, I got right, on my list. I'm like, right. I'm not really going anywhere. And he kind of stood there like helpless. And I was like, uh, and I was like, I don't know what to do. And then I was like, you know what? This reminds me of those old moments in college where it's like, you know, put down the camera, give the kid the food or whatever it was right. in Africa or, or yeah, or do, help, do, help do good. Yeah. And I was just like, all right. And, it's, and mind you, it's a stranger at two 30 in the morning in the middle of the night. But I'm like, this guy seems pretty disarmed. I'm a pretty big dude i don't think i didn't catch any ill will vibes and i was just like i was like all right there's a shelter like a mile away i said i can take you there i said i have no idea what's there i don't know anything about it they've just talked about it on the radio mm-hmm. and he was just like yeah that please and so i took him there and I dropped him off i was like best of luck like i don't know who i still don't know right. who the guy was i was just like hope you do well and he's like yeah i was supposed to buy my house this like friday or something and i'm like Oh, oh man, so, the, the house he was in. Yep, oh, house he was goodness. in. I think he was doing That's like a, renting it, and then he got approved to buy or something. Oh or, wow! I don't know. I was like, oh, and I said, well, I said maybe it's better today than two days from now or whatever. You know what I mean? Maybe right, it's better right, to right. know now than next week yeah, when it, you haven't bought it yet. Yeah, you so. haven't bought it yet. Um, <laughs> so you so got, got that you going for still you. Scoot to another one. Uh, <laughs> so it's not your problem yet. So that's <laughs> that was my understanding. That might be a silver lining. <laughs> exactly. I felt terrible for this guy. Yeah. Um, but I ended up going out east to uh, cookville and covering everything there but you stayed right in nashville i stayed uh, in nashville the most part i think it was like three day three or four uh or later in later in the week i did make it out to cookville when president trump came through that's and, right yeah and i was part of the visit he was he was doing that's right yeah because yeah. they landed in nashville and then they took the helicopter spray things yeah. over to cookville that's right yep yeah so what you you've covered this you've covered the there was a flood like 10 years ago yeah right? yeah and i have an amazing well there's an amazing story from the flood that happened in 2010 it was kind of wild uh, we live in bellevue on on the west side of town and the harpeth river and flows through there and my wife's grandfather at the time lived in this uh development called river plantation which right up right up against the harpeth river and he called us I guess it was because it rained Saturday all day, you know, and the waters had had risen and uh, were getting close. And so the next morning, Sunday, it continues the rain. Uh, And this by this time, now the water uh, on the river was actually coming into his house. Uh, his condo where he lived in the in that development, and so we go to his house to help him. And then down the street from him was a, a former Vanderbilt football coach. His name was uh, George McIntyre, and he was 
paralyzed. Can't remember what, exactly what he was had, but he was paralyzed from his chest down. So I knew he was home, or I knew he would might be in his home, and uh, we had gotten my wife's grandfather from his place to a higher ground. And so I was going back t- to check on him, uh, Coach Mac. And it turns out when I came down the hill from where we had taken her grandfather, Coach McIntyre's son was standing outside trying to figure out how he was going to get his dad out, and who was bedridden and couldn't couldn't move. And so I had you know that moment where you decide you know do you take pictures or do you help? And so I helped. So I came down the hill. I saw Matt standing there trying to figure out what to do. And I said, Hey, I know coach, it's coach Mack in here. It's coach Mack inside the setting we had gotten. So we got his mother out and another neighbor who had come to their house. And by this time, water was like waist deep in the, oh, wow. in their condo. Yeah. And, um, he's laying in bed and we're trying to figure out how to get him out. And we, Matt and I realized that his mattress that he was on was an air mattress and so and so we said well let's just float him out you know because we're not we can't we just we can't pick him up you know because it was just so we floated him out of his condo and then to a place where we could then pick him up or pick up the mattress and carry it up a hill into and then carried him to a neighbor's apartment that was on higher ground yeah and then so that was that was my flood moment wow (laughs) yeah floods are Floods are all these things, and I guess we'll just talk briefly about some of the things people should know about covering these things uh, before we hop over to the Patreon. But like, there's a lot of risk to covering this stuff. Yes. Um, I didn't know this about floods, but like, basically everything mixes with that water. Yes. And yes. I had a professor Nasty. who covered Katrina, and he was just like, you need to be not in that water, basically. He goes, that right. water, just assume it's all toxic. He goes, yeah. there's sewage, there's gases, there's fuels. No telling what's coming through there. And he says, it just looks like river water. He goes, but like, it's, he goes, you can get really messed up off of flood water. Yeah, you could. And then tornadoes is the same ballpark, right? I mean, you have more experience with tornadoes being from here. Like, talk about some of the risk assessment you do when you're covering this stuff. I mean, being a staffer, you have a little more coverage, so to speak, than I do. But, like, what are some of the things you think about? Thinking back to another tornado that I covered, like, I guess it was in 98. Yeah, years years ago. I guess, you know, one of my first. This was the tornado that came right down came right downtown, came right through the, right through the city and almost the same path as this 2010. I mean, excuse me, the 2020 tornado that we just had a couple months ago, a few months ago, but this one came down Charlotte, down Charlotte, down Broadway through there, crossed and jumped over to East Nashville and went through Donaldson, you know, at 98. But at the time it was during the day when it came and my boss at the time was like, head towards Bordeaux. It just hit Bordeaux. So I, you know, Go out the back door and get in the car, about to take off. And at that time, it's actually coming at our where the paper was situated then, it was coming down the back side of the paper. <laughs> and I'm like, and so I'm sitting here and watching the back of my pickup truck bounce up and down and as I'm sitting in there. And then I watch a sign that was in front of me just tip over and break. And I'm like, what am I doing? This is stupid. This is stupid. <laughs> so luckily it passed and luckily it didn't hit hit me directly. <laughs> you know, it just it, it went on past. But it, yeah, when covering tornadoes, wait till they're gone. And then go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is, that is a pro can, tip. Yeah, a pro tip here. If you can wait till they're gone, then go. <laughs> yeah. I I got a my windshield shattered still from that tornado. Oh, no. It, was, it happened in Corona happened, so I didn't want anybody in my truck replacing the windshield. Mm. And it was like a little tiny crack. And now it's just like all the way. Over. It's like a two-foot semicircle. But I got I to gotta call them now. But now, now they're saying COVID's back. So now I'm like... Will I ever get this windshield replaced? I have insurance. I just need to call. Maybe you can have them do it here in the in the 
That's what I'm hoping. The drop, yeah, right? I got yeah. Clorox wipes. I'll just be following behind. You touch right. that? Right. Touch right. that? Right. <laughs> Wipe them down. Wipe them down. Wipe them down. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, this has been a blast. We're going to hop over and talk a little bit more about football photography on the Patreon feed. If you aren't a follower on the Patreon feed, well, you should be. Um, it helps us keep this podcast going. Uh, George, how can people find you and follow your work? Obviously, the Tennessean. Yeah, um, but Tennessean.com. We're always there. And of course, on Instagram, um, GW004. Like... Uh-huh. 004. 004. <laughs> and, and then I'm on Facebook as well. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking the time, man. This, is, this has been a lot of fun. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Time's flying. Thanks for listening to Reciprocity Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe and rate us five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found value in this podcast and want to learn even more, head over to patreon.com slash reciprocitypodcast to support the show. 